0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect official policies or position of the Church of England Pensions Board, any other organisation, employer, or their employees. And now, on with the show. Hi there, good to have you back. We're in a bit of a summer lull, but we're here today with one of our very favourite Swedes. No. It's not Sven Goran Eriksson. Welcome to Talking Responsibly. And welcome to another episode of Talking Responsibly. I am your host, David Hickey, and it's good to be back here again. Uh with me, as usual, is my fantastic co-host, Adam Matthews. Adam, what are you up to, mate?
1: I'm very well. Well, the kids are back at school, so it's, it's back into routine. So of course. Gonna, that that, that will come to, to on the podcast. Come
0: as that. a shock to our English listeners because we're recording this on the nineteenth of August. That the kids are back at school already. It surprises me every year, having been to school in England. That uh, um, you know, in the middle of the summer, they they're back and running.
1: Yeah, no, it's a different system in Scotland. But uh, no, it's been good. To, it's good to be back. Um, obviously, uh, in the context of horrible events unfolding in Afghanistan um, as well, whilst we record this.
0: They they are indeed. Yeah, I'm sure there there might be. Uh, parts of that subject to touch upon uh, with uh, today's guest. Um, but I will go ahead and introduce today's guest because the intro I have for him is going to last about half the episode. So uh, let's see how we get on there. So today's guest is a global leader within the responsible investment community. Like me, he's the son of a steel worker. But unlike me, he started out in industry, first at ABB, where he uh, led on the implementation of environmental standards before making the move across to the finance community. So stints followed at uh, GES, that's Global Engagement Services, and NBIM, that is the Norges Bank uh, Investment Management, and these preceded his current role as the Secretary General of the Council on Ethics of the Swedish National Pension Funds. Now, remarkably, that organization doesn't have an English language acronym, uh, but... Quite simply, the most fantastic title of anyone uh, I work with. So, as uh, well as being um, the co-chair for Global Sector Strategies at Climate 100+, he is the co-convener alongside my colleague Adam Matthews of the Mine Tailings Initiative and also the co-chair alongside myself – of the very important IIGCC Net Zero Technology Accelerator Group. He's a a big Manchester United fan. Now, for Adam's uh, uh, purposes, that's the other red team, Adam. Uh, It is, of course, John Houchin. John, great to have you on the pod. How are you?
2: I'm fine. That was a very long introduction. I'm uh I'm, I'm nearly stunned to silence now, David. I don't know really what to say, but, but thank you very I much. I tell you what, man, I had to
0: edit that down as well, because you've you've done a bit of everything and you've been around forever. You know, you you, yeah. you, you make me look like some sort of spring chicken, although you, you wear your experience well, sir. You, you certainly, <laughs> you know, your CV suggests that you should be about 80 or 90 years old and you certainly don't look yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
2: <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say something about plastic surgery, but I left it. Ah, that's so, yeah,
0: that that's a yeah. it's the Swedish thing must be all those saunas and uh jumping into the frozen lakes and other uh stereotypes as well.
1: I think it's brilliant. We have got our fifth favourite Swede on the show. It's really good. Um and uh it's been somebody we've wanted to have on the show for a the show? I can't believe we're calling it a show, but anyway, the broadcast, whatever, the, the podcast, Um, to, yeah, from, from the off, really. Fifth, fifth favourite, so item.
0: after Sven-Goran Eriksson and three of the members of ABBA.
1: Oh, and gosh, and then you've got Greta Thunberg as well. So and you've got Greta Greta's as well. Six. Yeah, anyway, seven, six.
0: one of one of our favourite Swedes. One of our top ten. Yeah. One of, definitely one of our top 20 favourite Swedes. Anyway, right, so while I've got you guys on together... This is something that I've been meaning to ask uh, Adam for a long time. We've never really been able to get into it on the podcast. And that is the genesis of the Mind Tailings Initiative. And I tell you why I'm, I'm really keen to speak about this. When we look at things like the, the, the COP26 for climate change and the COP15, I think it is, for uh, biodiversity that are going on, these are things that take... Uh, multi-decades to kind of structure and get agreements on and things like that. And whenever you see kind of these big governmental things happening, they seem to take forever uh, and be very difficult to uh, to to get a broad agreement with. Now, after the Brumadino disaster, um, you guys were able to put together um, this mine tailings initiative and very quickly go from chatting about mine tailings to having a new global standards and launching or or about to launch a global initiative on tailing standards in mines in what seemed like the blink of an eye um so how did you guys get started with that and how the hell did you do it so quickly
2: so look um we had another accident a few years before brumadinho as everyone involved in these kind of issues know and that was uh, the samarco and Mariana accident with Val and BHP. It was co-owned by the two companies. Uh, and a number of investors, not many, but a few of us, were quite heavily involved in that uh, accident and, and, and the aftermath of that accident. Luckily, not many people perished, but it had huge environmental ramifications for Brazil. It's still, still the biggest uh, uh, environmental disaster in, in Brazil's history. Um, so, obviously, and, and the, this was actually pretty big uh, news in Sweden for a while, the the Samarco accident and, and the follow-up and the work on that. So when, when Bromadinho happened, I was interviewed in, in national press and there was a lot of media attention. And I was allowed to be, I was supposed to be, interviewed by swedish television when when the news broke but i actually declined because i was so angry i was so upset and uh, especially considering the number of people who passed away in this tragic accident and and uh, i just said no i i can't do it I'm, I'm 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 too angry uh luckily adam called me the day after uh and and we had a chat and we decided that uh, something more substantial needed to be done and it was actually really great to be able able to channel that pent up a, anger somewhere, and and I think for both Adam and me, and I'm talking on your behalf now, Adam, but I think I think being able to channel that into sort of a hands on uh, project the way we've done has has probably been the driving force behind this, and both you and I have agreed on on many things, and. And gladly we've been backed by a number of large important investors but also i think by a number of responsible mining companies in the mining industry who's been behind us so over to you adam yeah i,
1: I mean just for context um tailings are the waste products of of mining um and it's it's a it's as you mine you have waste and it needs to be stored somewhere and uh, basically mines construct very large facilities to sort of contain that waste next to often next to their sites because it obviously the cost of transporting somewhere else is is, um, is very high. And they can and it's often sort of solid products um, but can have liquid in it and the key thing is how you manage that that site going forward. and it involves dams and basically have these structures all over the world and some of them are absolutely enormous and they're designed to last forever. Um, and they're just, and some of them are the largest engineered structures on the planet, but you wouldn't necessarily know, and I think if you've not seen the video on, on, on YouTube or the, the web around Brumadino, it's worth looking at it, it's not a very long video, but basically it's a green hillside with plants and trees on it and it collapses, it just literally collapses in on itself and liquefies. And the on on this date in in January two years ago, um, the hillside which was a tailings facility um, collapsed, and lining front of it was a hotel, was the workers' canteen, um, and two hundred um, and eighty people were killed in in what is is just a horrific disaster in an absolute horrific way and you just watch this wall of a mountain that's sort of become liquefied rolling down the valley, consuming everything in its path, trains, people, um, trees, etc. And really when John and I spoke it was that both of us had been involved in engaging with the previous disaster, both of us along with other investors had engaged the individual company But this was a problem that was sector wide, it happened again, and it's going to happen again. And that we needed to make an intervention that meant that we drove an approach within the industry that meant that it didn't happen again. And we've got a lot more still to do. But the impetus behind that was to try and do something that fundamentally changed the way the industry looked at this issue. And so together, our funds, with the support of lots of other funds, made an intervention um, shortly after the morning period in the first week. We went public with a demand um, that we needed an independent um, verification on standards in in the sector. We needed um, a raft of other steps to be taken and that we were signaling very clearly that we were now at the table and we're not going away until we get to that point.
0: What kind of standards is it you're actually looking to implement and how have you gone about engaging with the kind of the industrial uh, community they're actually uh owning all these uh different um tailings dams and and, and mines and uh, you know presumably some of these operations are, are long gone and uh you know we we need to look at these these dams uh you know outside of what is currently producing
1: yeah i, I mean i think the Part of the challenge is that some of these facilities have passed between mining company to mining company and from mining company to governments and have been lost and and you could stand on one and not know. I've seen images of kids playing on them and uh, um, really not realising they're on a tailings facility. Um, And you obviously have a lot of historical legacy in the mining sector um, that needs to manage this because these are supposed to last in perpetuity but it requires management of how you deal with um, them becoming liquefied with water and, and other ways in which they can seep or, or, or break down. So um, really, we, we didn't know who had a tailings facility or not. And I think, John, the first thing that we wanted to do was really understand which company that we owned had a tailings facility, um, where was it, and to what standard you were operating it. Um, and then from there, we sort of just devised a process to really... Um, get those disclosures um, and yeah I mean John do you want to pick up from there
2: so something that really struck me post the the, the Mariana and the, the Brumadinho accident was obviously I guess there was a new role that we collectively as long-term investors needed at least to ponder I wasn't sure, but we needed to ponder it, and that was whether we could drive regulation or at least soft regulation on a global basis because i mean it was pretty clear that the regulatory frameworks in brazil had not had not worked and independent independent reviews of the existing dams, especially Vale's existing dams uh the third party third party verification et cetera, had not worked uh there was something structurally missing here, and I think we needed that global standard so we could sort of be assured there was going to be a global efficiency. And there was also going to be people coming in from outside other markets, bringing in best practice and 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 best knowledge to address these issues. So so it was, I mean, to be honest, it was a bit of a, a sort of a tryout. And I think, as, as Adam alluded to, I mean, we're all at the start of this, but it, it, it opens up a lot of possibilities because quite frankly this is probably what we need to do on on so many issues when it comes to climate change and human rights and what have you you need regulatory efficiency and you need to build trust uh on on many many topics and I and I think hopefully if we get this right we can do it we can replicate this kind of work within many other issues and problems
0: yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a really good idea. Is because the 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 level of efficiency that we've seen this rolled out with, um, you know, w- we could potentially use this plan um, as a model uh, for for other problems. Like you say, um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure which is next. Sometimes it feels that we've got so many things that we're trying to uh, to do in responsible investing. It's it's almost like a where do you start? Uh, kind of idea but
2: yeah but I think just looking on the IPCC report that came out the other week here I mean it's called code, code red we're in a climate emergency uh I think everyone including the institutional investment community that Adam, Adam and I represent we need to look really hard at who we are and what we do and and uh, I think what we've what Adam and I have maybe done together with with all the other investors behind the mining tailings initiative is actually to push that 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 possibility out and and we should explore that within climate change as well. I think we need we have a huge convening power. Uh, I would say, I mean we're not really we're still sort of a, a a work in progress as a community and we haven't really come to understand all the limitations and all the possibilities we have. And I think I, I can only say from my personal point of view that we should continue to explore the possibilities that we have collectively, the role we can play, and the convening power we can use. Because I don't think we've done that to any anywhere the extent that we should. And when it comes to climate change, we just need to push ahead. We need just we just need to push ahead now.
1: I mean, I think on that convening power point, I mean that was one of the things that we we immediately did in the initiative was to convene a roundtable of investors and companies and, and say, look, we want to hear what's going on, what are you doing from industry. We heard from the world's leading experts, we quickly identified them, we video linked them into a meeting in Church House, and and really we from that we just worked through from a position of basically relatively limited knowledge. I mean, we obviously knew what a tailing facility was, we knew that this was an issue, we'd engaged with it, but trying to sort of understand the context across the whole of the industry, we, we sort of started started to build up knowledge and take a group of investors with us so this was a journey of collective learning to walk through the problem and then identify very practical interventions and the first one as I said was on on disclosure simply who has a facility what standard etc etc we put out a a, a letter to all the companies signed by um, I mean it's some 20 or trillion now or whatever that were behind it saying that look we want you to make this disclosure within a month signed by the chair or the CEO so that the board was quite clearly taking responsibility for for what the company had within its uh, operations and then really we started to look at well how do we devise a standard so we've created a global portal for the, the disclosures which has brought transparency one CEO said to us that If you'd come into the building um before your 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 letter and said um the whole industry would basically be disclosing this information within the space of four or five weeks you would have been laughed out Um, but the situation had changed and investors and a very significant group were were basically indicating that we needed a different level of accountability within the companies we were now going to drive a process with industry involved with other stakeholders involved but basically we're going to drive a process that created a standard And that set off a train to create a a global standard, which we've negotiated with the the mining companies and with the UN. That standard's now been published. The top 30 mining companies have agreed to implement it. And the next phase, which is what John's talking to, is that we're creating a global institute that will independently verify that that standard is operating at individual sites. And that's the potential here, is if we can get that working, That you can then have this independent entity confirming that a global standard is being applied at that local level with transparency that can then give you confidence that this issue's been dealt with properly and the potential is if that's right well what are the other issues within the sector which is a hugely important sector that we can address and actually have that independent verification and so i think the the vision that we're working together on is how do we sort of scale this? Not only both ensuring that we deal with this issue, but also how do we look at the other issues that that are important to the sector to help it?
0: Yeah, that 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 sounds like a, quite a resource uh, intensive uh, approach uh, from the uh, from the new <coughs> institute. Um, you know, it, it it sounds welcome in terms of its uh, of its scope and ambition. Um, h- how are you going about? um making sure you have that that level of resource available to you
2: well i i think quite frankly we we will need to this will need to be some sort of fee-based structure for the industry Mm -hmm. that doesn't need to be a very high fee but while we're looking at a fee-based structure for it uh there's been some some um, interest by a number of national uh, countries who, who are quite keen to to participate but we'll we'll have a look at that But I think I think for the long term it it's best if it's self self-sufficient on that sort of fee-based structure
1: yeah and, and I think it's also a recognition that look tailing facilities are a reality of mining uh, it's a cost of business mm-hmm. and they've got to be managed to now a higher standard Perfect. than they have in the past and best practice that will continue to evolve needs to be applied and verified it's been applied. And that's an expectation of us as investors, and equally we're talking to colleagues in the banking and the insurance sector, that if we align that expectation across finance, then this is a cost of business that, that, that was previously not being paid and the result of it was environmental disasters and the kind of disaster that's led to the number of deaths in, in Brazil. And it's still gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget this sector is key to the low carbon transition and there is gonna be more waste being produced. There's gonna be more tailings facilities. And unless this issue is fixed, you're gonna have more of these kinds of disasters. And that's why we've, we're clear that industry has to take responsibility and credit to some of them, they really are. Um, there is an acknowledgement across industry this can't continue to happen. But at the same time, I think investors have got to assure themselves that this international standard is being applied in all parts of the world.
0: Yeah, I think I think you make an interesting point there. And it's, it's one that we touched on with uh, Mark Cusifani when he was on uh, the uh, podcast, episode seven, I think. Um, and that is that a lot of people think that the low carbon transition will result in less mining and extractive industries when in reality it will probably lead to more because of the need for batteries and extra electrical cabling uh, and things like that Um, so we've got a future of uh, mining being a quite a growth industry uh, moving forward but you know elements of that like coal mining for example um, you know uh, running off uh, over the the coming few years
2: Yeah, but but to to your point, mining needs to secure its reputation as well, because it needs to recruit a lot of people now, not only because it's growing due to the climate transition, but also because there's a lot of graying old gentlemen who Mm -hmm. are leaving the industry. There's a generational shift going on within mining. So, so it's important here now that, that that they stand firm on on being responsible. It's it's a tough business. We we all know they they have all kind of challenges within mining, but it's such an important industry, and and it needs the kind of stewardship that Adam and I and the other investors are are trying to to use here. And and we need to be there for the long term. And that, that's why I think setting up the institute is is a very good way of of showcasing that we're going to be around for the long term with this stewardship that that's needed. So all good yeah. so far plenty of work ahead of us yeah i i, I, think, I
1: think that's, that's sorry, what the responsible investment about i i mean yeah. it's not sort of washing the difficult sectors or assets out of your portfolio it's about engaging with reality um it's about sort of working to establish what the best practice standards are or devising them where they don't exist and then working together to drive genuine change and i i think that this sector is intimately linked with our modern lives. It's intimately linked with our future lives and the low carbon transition. And if we don't get this right, you're gonna have a low carbon transition either off the back of children mining certain minerals or conflicts with indigenous communities because you're expanding mines or tailings facilities collapsing. So there's a massive issue about the social license of the sector and remaining invested and engaged and driving tangible change, I think is definitely uh, the agenda that we've shared and that we see as at the beginning.
0: Okay, we're going to bring first part to an end there. But I, I, I think that that last point, and we made a similar point again with Mark, is that uh, any young people listening to this um, that don't know what they want a career in cons- y- and are interested in sustainability and responsible investment, consider a, uh, a career in mining. We need young people with the right mindset um, to go into those industries and shake them up for the modern world. So, uh, yeah, um, and hopefully the Institute will uh, have a, some level of uh, educational um, reach um, for uh, for young people coming into the industry and saying this is not about um, pillaging the land, that, that this is about uh, working together for a better future. So... With that done, we will go over to uh, Rory with his Book of the Week. Rory, over to you.
3: Welcome to Book of the Week with Rory Sullivan. going to break with tradition this week and I'm going to court controversy. My controversial assessment is that Roddy Doyle is the greatest living Irish author. Now that that may sound controversial but let me offer five reasons why that is the case. The first is he has given a voice to to English as it's spoken in Ireland in urban centres. I mean those of you who have any familiarity with the Irish literature genre will know that there are basically only two voices in Irish fiction. One is the, the old English manner, so the Anglo-Irish aristocracy, voice who, voices who speak in um, the Queen's English and with received pronunciation, and the other is a sort of a Bog-Irish, i be Goran, be Jesus, and to be sure, to be sure. Roddy Doyle has, has introduced a, a third language to the lexicon, which is the, the urban dub. Argument number two, the greatest opening line in literature. Enough of your Dickens, enough of all these overrated English and American authors. The greatest opening line in literature is the at the beginning of the novel called The Snapper, where Jimmy Rabbit has been told his daughter is pregnant. The book begins with the following phrase, your what?" In two words, he sums up the dilemma and the heartache that every father must feel when his daughter has let him down. Uh, Argument three, the novel Paddy Clark Ha Ha Ha, described by Germaine Greer as the one book that explains why boys become men. It is a wonderful piece of work, it explains why a child, what happens to a child who's lost in his own little world, while his parents are are going through a breakup. Um, And it shows how the the experiences of our childhood shape the adults we become. Argument number four. The novel, The Woman Who Walks Into Doors, or The Woman Who Walked Into Doors, I think it's formally called. Um, why? First, because it shows a male author can credibly write in a female voice. Um, the second is because it captures the, the powerlessness of being trapped, whether that's in a dysfunctional relationship, in a stagnant marriage, in a job you can't escape. But it is probably the most authentic um, expression of powerlessness and helplessness that that I've read, and C, for the sheer, I guess, the howl of freedom that happens at the end of the book when she discovers that actually the the trap is no longer a trap and that it is possible to leave. And the fifth reason for arguing that Roddy Doyle is the greatest living author um, is his most recent novel called Love, which is essentially two middle-aged men, most of which is is located in a pub, talking to each other um, and telling each other about What is happening, but being signally incapable of expressing either what's really happening to them or their real emotions. It is um, the novel that could be written for every middle aged Irishman. With that, I rest my case that Roddy Doyle is the greatest living Irish author.
0: So thanks for that Rory, um, over to you, John. What is on your mind this week?
2: <clears throat> so obviously the IPCC report coming out and and quite frankly, I mean the world around us is either burning or getting flooded. Um, you can choose, but climate change is, is really here. And I think it's, uh, the realities of climate change are scaring a lot of people and rightly so, I mean, it's not gonna go away, it's, it's here to stay. So, and I and I think that really sort of puts the spotlight on our us as a collective, the responsible investment community, and and the opportunities and the the responsibilities we have as acting. So, and we've been pitching around that I think we need a Marshall plan, plan something similar, something really really heavy when it comes to climate change and. Uh, I think there are pieces, what Adam and I spoke and what we've been doing uh, within the tailings initiative that we can pick up and do similarly on climate change. So looking at coal mining, but also looking at coal plants, you you can target coal plants, you can set up an individual transition plan for each individual coal plant in the world. Uh, You can look at the transition plan for each individual coal mine in the world. You need to get really nitty gritty on each individual Uh, source of emissions. Obviously, you have oil. Oil is a different beast to coal. Uh, I think we're moving on some parts of oil, but you can target oil as well on an individual basis. Uh, And then you go to methane and you need to target methane. Uh, We know where methane is coming from. So we need to get really hands on in a very detailed way. And I think looking at finance, looking at the just transition for each of these sites so we don't get sort of social disruption coming out of this you need you need to see to that that you have people behind this kind of change because there's a lot of not in my backyard uh, and, and you can respect that you, we have these issues in sweden as well when it comes to wind power or what have you people don't want to have too much wind power in the backyard either so there's there's a lot of complexity coming to this but let's get this marshall plan up and running for climate change i i think and i think we the responsible investment community can drive that because we we have degrees of freedom that many other actors don't really have. Uh, we're not predefined like the UN bodies or or the politicians or or the companies. We haven't really explored the, the the powers that we have. And and I think what Adam and I and and a few other investors have been doing recently. And I really like what we've been doing with the mining industry and initiative we we need to explore that collective ownership a lot more and uh, it's I, I think I think we should be op, uh, optimistic about a Marshall plan. Adam over to you so, well
1: look John I, I absolutely instinctively love it and agree um I suppose the the question is that you've had a sort of trend in responsible investment of <clears throat> first understanding what your coal assets are in your portfolios and then increasingly you've had thermal coal screens um as as a as a fund we were involved in sort of pioneering some of that and then you've had um funds basically running away from owning assets that have coal and you've now got the situation where good well-run mining companies are offloading those assets um be that into New companies or by selling them off and what you're saying is actually responsible investors to be responsible you don't need to run away from these assets you need to own them and actually you need to put in place a plan to drive that transition of that asset be it potentially to close it sooner but in a just way whilst putting in place the the plan for the alternate energy that a country perhaps is dependent for is that a fair summary of what you're saying that we should actually not be Running away, but running towards.
2: I think I think that's an excellent summary, Adam. And, and I think there's many dimensions to this. I mean, basically, my experience over the last twenty years, when I'm when I've been working on responsible investments, you can't really run away uh, from from issues. I mean, tobacco has been the most divested uh, sector the last 50 years, whatever, but there's still tobacco companies around mm-hmm. and they still have issues on on responsibility that we need to, you know, child labor, green leaf disease, what have you, deforestation. So so irrespectively, we're still and, and I mean, look, look at the banks. We're still financing coal. We're still financing new coal all around the world through different streams of finance. So we need to bring this all together. We can't we can't hide from reality. We've got connections. All over the place that that we need that we need to be honest about, and that we really so so I think um, I think the Marshall Plan includes that, and uh, active ownership needs to step up.
0: Yeah, I I think we've we've seen uh, I have mentioned before on on the podcast that I think we we've got this we've had this wrong for the last few years, this idea of pressuring companies to. Just dump these assets. Um, I, I think that there's a, a, a real misunderstanding uh, in parts of our responsible investment community about what divestment does and what it means. Um, and people yeah. seem to forget that the, these assets will exist and they will persist, whether they're in the companies you own uh, or whether the companies you know you don't no longer own these companies you know these divestment decisions make no effect on real world assets
2: no and 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 i mean the way the way we're looking now everyone's looking at the value chain and and the supply chain of of every company everything is being scrutinized in detail so i mean practically everything coming out of China has coal in it because China is so dependent on coal. And this is no criticism of China. I'm not a China basher. On the contrary, I, I believe China is trying to move in the right direction and we need to help China to move in the right direction. But right. but the the supply chains, the the value chains of everything is going to be scrutinized. You're going to see a carbon footprint on every product that's going to include the supply chain. So even though if you push sort of coal out to the barriers to into private equity or private ownership or what have you or or government ownership like we're seeing with oil and like we're seeing now like we've seen with coal for quite some time. It's still going to be part of our responsibility to manage it. So so let's not hide it. Let's talk openly about it and let's get to it. And I think that's the key thing about this Marshall Plan that we need to that we need to do now during the transition decade. We can't just hide about realities uh we want the the um, the uh, what's the name the listed equity space to be squeaky clean and we can say look the list the listed equity equity space is squeaky clean but nothing is squeaky clean everything fits together it's one system it's just one big machine and we need to address that machine
1: i mean the risk is the listed equity space is all going to be squeaky clean because the bhps have divested their assets the anglers have divested their Dirty assets, and and we continue to hold those companies, but actually, they either end up in the private markets or, or, and yeah, and that these assets haven't gone away. I I suppose, pushing back slightly on your point, David, about disinvestment, I think there's an absolute role for disinvestment. And particularly if you think that, as an ethical investor, there are certain red lines and generating the profits um, for your fund and your beneficiaries from some sources is, is just against your principles. And I think that's absolutely legitimate and, and correct. Let, let me clarify. Really, and, I, and I know you're not disagreeing. With let that let before, me clarify what I mean. When, when but, I talk
0: about disinvestment, I mean that yeah. people argue disinvestment as the first solution to everything. Yeah, it's like, absolutely. let's just sell it. And then the problem goes away, which yeah, is no, BS. As far as so, you know. we know.
1: No, no. And, and and I think the second aspect to disinvestment is when you think that change is genuinely not happening and i think if you've exercised and pulled your levers i think there's a case to be made that can you legitimately continue to derive an, a profit or a return that into your fund from a source that you've exercised all your stewardship levers and you've reached a point in judgment that there's going to be no that company is so unresponsive therefore can you legitimately retain your investments in that company i think you raise a very very important question that i still think responsible investors haven't properly grappled with i don't think say so, 100 has is that actually the more effective lever is a twin track approach of continuing to hold your equity and and actually denying the debt and i think that point you've previously made that potentially in a coordinated fashion has the ability to drive tangible um sort of influence in a much more um much more effective way but i suppose the question here john is then that could we see responsible investors saying look actually don't disinvest your assets as a company hold on to them we're willing potentially to acknowledge that this coal in this instance um, if there's a clear plan for where it's going and there's a clear plan for the energy within that country to be transitioned to alternate sources away from that coal that we could acknowledge it's acceptable for you to continue to have that within your within your company portfolio And therefore, you have to sort of have a very clear path in which you see that company's sort of products serving a very particular energy need at this time, whilst that country where it's sort of been used is transitioned to an alternative source of energy. And I think if we can get to that kind of practical nitty gritty, then actually, I think you could really see um, a, a rightful challenge to whether we should be running away from these assets being retained in well run companies whilst you put it in place the alternative and potentially at a much faster pace and then that does remove real emissions because then you can close those assets potentially quicker and in a just way in a well-run company
2: yeah I, I, it might be an option I, I think coal is already sort of the new tobacco it's it's been the new tobacco for quite a while and and it's it's heavily divested and, and I think what worries me is that we might be be moving on to further up the supply chain, further up the value chain and and sort of start divesting from the from the utilities and and from the the heavy emitters that are buying from the utilities, what have you. I mean, when you start, there's no end to how much you're supposed to to divest. and and I think killing this by the source. and we know, I mean you look at the US, you look at Europe, you even look at some parts of China. You can you can close down coal uh, coal utilities. You can co- close down coal power plants. We just need to get a few different formats, you know, best practice. So how, how how do you change that power? What do you put there instead? And then you can clarify different transition plans for different coal plants all around. But you need to be, you need to give people some hope. I think a lot of people in general don't really see climate change. They they don't really know how climate change is happening and what the, the sources of emissions are and where they're coming from and that's fine i mean people are not flying they're not eating meat they're buying an electrical car they're going on bicycles that's all fine but if we don't if we don't get the big big swipes right this is not going to change nothing's going to happen and we can't just criticize china we need we need to be proactive we need to be positive and we need to work with them And I think we are not caught up in politics. There's no sort of head-butting going on in politics. We're just very pragmatic. And and there are opportunities for new investments, getting return on investments, and getting new technology into these areas that we should acknowledge. And that's part of the green green movement as well. So just staying positive, which is going to be really, really hard, because now there's so much negative uh, aspects out there and people are losing trust. People are getting... Yeah it's 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 a difficult environment to operate in and we need to acknowledge that and it puts a lot of pressure on moving forward i think but it's Absolutely, it's when yeah. the chalo- when, when the challenging times come we we need to step up our game
0: I think I think one of the interesting things is i mean you 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 say that you know uh, thermal coal is the new tobacco yes it is but i think that that in many parts of the world there is still a critical role for thermal coal to play whether we as europeans like it or not that there are areas in, in the world that are not anything like ready to transition away from thermal coal just yet you know south africa is a very good uh, example but that you know there's opportunities within those companies and with uh, within oil and gas as well these are hugely cash generative businesses because you know the money's gone in at the beginning. and while you're just digging or just extracting, you're just producing cash um, because the cost is already sunk. Now provided we're not going into those those coal plants, those oil plants and things like that and working out ways to extend life and you know build new mines, drill new oil fields, these are very, very good cash generative investments. Now, if we look at them in the sense that, you know, we could then take the cash flows from these uh, fossil fuel sources and make sure that they are reallocated into the right things, i.e. the energy transition... if that's through management of the company transitioning, or if that's through returning that cash to shareholders so that shareholders can reallocate it within their own portfolios to the projects that they want. You know, this is a, a real possibility. So, you know, I know people don't like coal and don't like oil and gas, but if we can take hold of them and, and grab them as re- responsible owners, we can do that, uh, that reallocation of capital.
2: But there you go. You're already talking about the sort of nitty gritty and the hands on discussions that we need to hold. Absolutely. This is this is and I don't really see those discussions ongoing. And and that was this is really what bothers me. I think there's a missed opportunity. And I'm not saying that the responsible investment community should be the only one here. We have a convening power to convene the groups necessary to hold the kind of discussion you just described. And i think we should use that convening power because we are not a predefined actor we are a new actor on on the global scene and we should use that and i think adam and i have showcased what, what you can do uh, when using that on on tailing discussions so there's an opportunity and a responsibility to try to do what you just described which should be a part of it marshall i'm completely with you
1: but i mean to do that you've got to have a clear transition plan but at the country level and have an understanding of where the individual mine um, and the coal that's been mined is contributing the energy at what time, and then how that can actually sort of potentially be squeezed so that you can get that asset offline quicker. Um, And it's not simply sweated to provide general coal into other markets. And I I think in that context, if you can manage it in that way, which is what I think you're suggesting, I think it could be a, a really practical way to drive tangible change, but it will need real engagement with policymakers, makers. Yeah. And, and that's the bit that I just don't see happening through responsible investments. I think there's lots of sort of initiatives globally, etc. but where's that dialogue at the sort of connecting to the national plan of a country working through the role that responsible investors could play and, and the finance market could play in helping that country whilst potentially owning difficult assets to close them quicker whilst the alternatives come online. And I also wonder if we've got to really make a much more clearer call to help us do this, to repurpose the point of the World Bank and the development banks to actually help aid this kind of role that I think finance could play. So I think what you're discussing, John, requires policy at the table or it requires us to work in some countries to demonstrate this is possible. Um, But I, I, I think the thinking you're putting on the table and the challenge for responsible investment is exactly the kind of thing we should be talking about. And at the moment, I don't see that happening.
0: It sounds to me like we need some uh, some COP twenty six fringe events while all the uh policy makers are uh, are in Scotland. Uh we'll we'll bring John over and uh, we'll get everyone in rooms together and we'll make the uh the, the Marshall Plan, which I, I am going to officially rebrand the Houching Plan um, um to, uh, yeah. to to fruition.
2: I, I think about more Mar- Marshall plan is mind. Marshall plan is good because people know what a Marshall plan is and what what's great about the Marshall plan it worked it really did work didn't it so there's a positive to it that we should acknowledge but look, I think we're already starting to paint the picture and sort of painting out the 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 plan how it looks and I think we as a group we have the resources we might not have the resources but we have the brains, maybe not Adam, but the rest of us <laughs> have have the brains and and uh, and and we can do that and i think we should paint that picture and we should lay out and we we should lay out the plan and we should see who wants to be or who should be at the table for different reasons in different locations and let's start pulling those strings because i think we can do that and we have a unique role to do that well let's convene that dialogue
1: right on
0: that note that sounds like a good place to ring the gong and say we're going to put uh, everyone's contact details in the show notes. If you're listening to this and you want to be part of that uh, convened group, especially if you're a policymaker, John Kerry, if you're listening to this podcast, I hope you are. Please get in touch, send your office over. We will certainly have you as part of the conversation. Um, you know, the, just 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 drop us a line, and we will get uh, get people involved in that. Great stuff guys. Right. Well, thank you very much for your uh, input this week. Uh, it's been great speaking to you. Uh, John, where can our listeners find you?
2: Oh, I'm on LinkedIn. So, so please connect on LinkedIn if we, if you haven't already. Brilliant. I
0: yeah. will put your um, link to your page in the show notes. So anyone can just click on that. We will put the link to the um, Brumadino uh, video that Adam referenced in the first half in the show notes as well uh, with a health warning that it, it is quite a, a, a remarkable and terrifying and obsessing video. Um, and with that, um, I will bring things to a close. Thank you uh, again, Adam. Uh, it's been great to have you. Um, I will speak to you again very, very soon. John, thank you so much for your time. It's uh, been great to have you on and share the details of your plans and congratulations to both of you again for the fantastic work you've been doing with the tailings initiative. Uh, I don't think uh, you guys get enough plaudits for that, so I'm going to give you all the plaudits today. Thanks, guys. Cheers. So with that uh, sorted, I'd like to thank uh, you, the listeners, for staying with us so long. Uh, as usual, please subscribe, please leave a review, please share this episode with a friend. Um, we have a big back catalogue now with some great episodes in. If you haven't listened to episode 7 with Mark Kutafani, um, I suggest you do after this one because it's very relevant to what we were talking about in the mining's initiative. Um, and with that, I will bring things to a close. So thank you again for listening and join us again next time. Goodbye.